we're in a interesting situation. There we go. We are in an interesting situation in this particular church, uh, in that we we have a lot of people who grew up in the Church of Christ, but we also have a lot of people who didn't. We have a lot of people who just started coming here from a different uh, uh, background, and we we really appreciate everybody's perspective. Um, but you may wonder, those of you who grew up in a Baptist church or a Christian church or Episcopalian or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or Methodist, or all you know, there's plenty of choices. Um, you may wonder, looking around, well, which one of these, pe- which of these people grew up in the Church of Christ? And I got a couple of ways to help you spot a, a born and raised Church of Christ. Um, people who don't put spaces in the phrase "God garden direct us." Uh, that's that's a Church of Christ thing. That we, I, you thought that was one word growing up. Um, if you know what 728B means, um, if you don't know the proper plural of bison, that's like real deep Church of Christ. If someone says bisons, they either went to Harding or Lipscomb. And while those are good schools, they do not teach the proper plural of bison. It's the Harding Bisons. All right. We, the other day we played the, uh, the Baptist Mooses. Uh, one that's fun for me is if you're riding in a car with somebody and they're unnecessarily singing a bass line to the pop song that's on the radio. That's Church of Christ. And if they piece their t- tortilla chips up little by little and eat them like that, that's Church of Christ too. And you can tell. You can always spot them. Uh, another thing that gets us is the Holy Spirit makes us nervous. I've, uh, I posted on Facebook this uh, graphic announcing that we were going to be talking about the Holy Spirit over the next uh, five weeks. And I had a couple of preacher friends of mine send me messages and actually talk to me in person and say, what are you doing? I thought it was just a, I thought, well, this will be fun, we'll study it. And they said, oh, that's a mistake. That's a, that's a little nerve-wracking to preach about the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons the Church of Christ aren't that great at the Holy Spirit is because our movement started at a time um, right before another movement, and that other movement uh, talked about the Spirit in ways that made us uncomfortable. Which that happens, people have different belief systems, different understandings of scripture, that's not wrong, it's just our response to that uncomfortable feeling was often, well, let's just not talk about it at all. And we, we didn't want to be um, what they, we, we would see people doing holy rolling, and we would say, well, that's not for me. But since that was for them, we decided, well, I'm not going to do anything at all. And we actually got to talking about how the Holy Spirit is solely what we find in Scripture. And I think that that is a, a huge misunderstanding of Scripture itself. And we're going to talk about that and why today. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to discuss what exactly it is that the Holy Spirit does. 
Because if the Holy Spirit is real and alive and active, what is it active doing? One of the things um, I'm not good at is being alone. I'm an introvert, so I don't want too many of you around. But I, I don't, I, once Rachel's out of town, and um, she'll be back tomorrow, but like while she's not here, I don't like that at all. Um, the house isn't my home. It's just this, this house. I would rather just sleep on the couch and um, play, I'd play my guitar more, but it doesn't feel fun to have my kids not dancing or choreographed movements to it. Uh, so I don't like it. And maybe, I don't know if we just have abandonment issues or whatever, but it's just why I don't like an empty house. And Rachel will be home and I will be able to breathe again tomorrow. My kids will be home and I'll be able to breathe again tomorrow. But there's a sense where she says, you know what, I'm going to go see our, my, my mother, uh, her her mother, Pam. I'm going to go see Pam. She doesn't call her Pam. I call her Pam. And I'll, I'll say, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> I don't like it. When someone goes, there's a sense of, well, why? Where are you going? And the disciples felt that way right before Jesus was crucified in John chapter 14. See, a passage that we think often as this passage that is very uh, uplifting and inspiring is one that, is, while it is inspiring for us, let's try to see it for a second through the perspective of the disciples. Just working. Did that change up there? There we go. He, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. This is the first thing he says. Don't, don't, don't be worried. Now, when someone says, don't be worried, or, um, all right, don't panic, but, all right, I'm going to panic. It's like saying, don't look down. I'm going to, often like, the announcement of don't be troubled is an acknowledgement that what I'm about to tell you is troubling. Don't worry, but I've got something to tell you. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to, a to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Wait, hold up. You're going somewhere? This seems to be their only response. Is Jesus is saying, I'm going, I'm prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back, and I will come back to you. Jesus announcing his return is actually something that we should be excited about. But whenever he says that he's going to return, the only thing the disciples seem to hear is that he's going to go. And to be honest, that's news to them. And it's not good news. One of my favorite passages in scripture is right after the transfiguration. One of my favorite stories is that Jesus goes up on the mountain with some disciples and he stands there with uh, Moses and Elijah and Peter talks about building tents because he didn't know what else to say. 
And then they come down from the mountain, and as they're walking down from the mountain, they see the disciples with some other people. And the disciples are arguing with these other people, and these other people have brought them someone to heal, and they couldn't do it. And they see Jesus walking down the hill, and they say, Oh, thank, thank, thank you, you're here. Um, we need your help. Because while Jesus was gone, there was this moment of, I don't know what I'm doing. And we're sort of just fumbling this mess up. Every time he left the disciples, they had this moment of, well, we're kind of panicking. Every time Peter took his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink. And every time there was a crowd to feed, they didn't know how to feed it until Jesus reminded them we're going to feed them this way. So when Jesus says, I'm going to go, can you imagine the panic they'd felt? I'm unprepared. Go and drop your kid off at college. And they, are, they, feel, they, they feel prepared. But the panic you feel when you're leaving them is the sense of they are not prepared. Because they're not. And this sense of panic the disciples are feeling. Look at the next question that's asked. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? We don't know what's going... We don't, we don't know... Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Philip says, Lord, just show us the Father, and that will be enough. Just, well, hold up. Jesus, you're talking crazy talk here. I don't know where you're going, and you're saying you're going to the Father, but I don't know how that's going to work. And then Jesus, throughout this long conversation, it's called the final discourse. It happens in John 14, 15, and 16. Jesus, several times throughout this, makes a promise that he starts here in John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. That's the way the NIV translates it. The word here is such a big word that it's hard to give give it one word and define it really well. Like, if it's it's a Greek word that could be bigger. And so I, I wish translators would do this more often where... They would, wouldn't just take this one word and plug it in there. I wish they would say, like, for here, the good translation would be, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or helper. Like, to, to do a dual translation to let us know, this is a big word, and we need two words for this one word. I, this, this idea of someone who stands alongside you. The Greek word is parakletos. And it's this... It's this big sense of someone who comes along and helps you in a time of need. I will give you another advocate or helper to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But listen to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. that The one who's coming to help. 
The world doesn't know Him. It can't accept Him. It doesn't see Him or know Him. But you know Him for He lives with you, presently lives with you, and will be in you. So the present tense lives, right now, lives, currently lives with you, and in the future will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. If you have never had a sense of what the Holy Spirit is, it's always been this just floaty thing that you didn't really want to talk about, or we could just make it the Bible, but you don't really think the Bible bears that out. You know, in Acts 2.38, when they were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, they weren't handing out New Testaments. Like, you don't think that's what the Bible's talking about? But, the, but you think, I don't know what this is. Jesus very clearly defines it. He says, you know who the Holy Spirit is. You know who the Helper is. Because it lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is the presence of of Jesus in our lives. Helping us, teaching us, convicting us. But Jesus isn't just gone and off somewhere else. Jesus is with us. What's interesting to me is that people, even people who I know who will say, well, that Holy Spirit stuff, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's really just the Bible. Let's, let's get away from talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They'll talk about Jesus being with us. They'll talk about Jesus guiding us. That's the Holy Spirit. What's so interesting is whenever the disciples said, I, I don't know where you're going. Just show us how do we know the way. And Jesus says, I'm the way. And Philip says, well, just show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. And if you know me, you know the Spirit. You'll know the Spirit because he lives with you now and will be in you later. And I am convinced at the very core of my being that the Holy Spirit is Jesus with us and he cares enough not to leave us as orphans, but he cares enough to come to us. The presence of Jesus in our lives is biblical, it is serious, and it is life-changing. The problem with this is that he was saying this to his disciples. So a good question to ask, if you think, well, Benjamin, I'm not convinced. A good question to ask is, is this promise for us? I think that's a legitimate argument. You can say, well, he was talking specifically to his disciples, and his, he was telling his disciples that he was going to come to them, but we, we don't really do that. Is this promise for us? Short answer, and then I'll give you a less short answer. Short answer, yes, of course. The less short answer is um, a little more complicated. Um, if you want to tune out for a second, you can, but this... Keep up with me. 
The book of John was written in the 90s, not 1990s, 0090. It was written late. By the time the book of John was written, the only living apostle was John. And so he writes the story of Jesus to a group of people who, lives in, who live in Ephesus, and they have a, um, they have a sense that they're disconnected from Jesus by time, Jesus happened in a different time, Jesus happened in a different place, and Jesus happened in a different language. So what you find in John is often him um, explaining what roads were and what river was and where this place was and what it's called now. And sometimes he'll say, Jesus said uh, this thing in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, and then he'll say, well, what that means in Greek is, and then we um, get, get it in English. And so he's writing to people who are different from Jesus in a different time, in a different place, from a different background. People who feel disconnected in several different ways from Jesus. And then he tells them about this conversation. A majority of the Gospel of John is spent in this particular discourse, this particular conversation, and he tells them about this conversation, about this time when Jesus was about to leave his disciples and they were feeling like he was going to be gone. And he said, no, the, the remedy for the disconnection is that I am coming back as a helper, as a spirit to live in you and live with you. And I will not leave you as an orphan. It would be ridiculous for John to write this whole letter and then at the end of it say, well, that, I know that... That promise made you feel warm and fuzzy at first, but that was just for me. I'm the only one. I'm the only one alive who this promise applies to. John wasn't bragging. He was encouraging. Of course this promise applies to us. And I would argue that anyone who says it doesn't, doesn't know their Bible all that well. Not like what was written in the Bible, but when it was written. To whom it was written. The Holy Spirit is alive and active. And the Holy Spirit has a name. And it is Jesus. Jesus with us and in us. Now, we make these distinctions. We talk about Trinity, the God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're three and they are one. Yes, that's true. Um, that's an old, very old, very long tradition doctrine of the church and I'm not going to um, fight it. But Jesus made a distinction that didn't separate him. I and the Father, we are one. And if you know me, you know the Spirit. This promise is the beginning of our belief that Jesus, there is something bigger in my life now that I follow Jesus. Now that I claim Jesus is king, I have in me Jesus. We have in us the spirit, the life of Jesus. Um, in the King James Bible... The Holy Spirit is talked about as the Holy Ghost. Um, it's a little scary. 
Uh, the reason it is called the Holy Ghost is actually a misunderstanding. Um, it was originally translated correctly and then altered. And they would call it the Holy Guest. And Holy Guest makes much more sense than Holy Ghost. Because it actually tells us what is happening. Is that Jesus has not left us alone. You are not in this alone. You are never alone in this. That the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the one who is in the Father and is the Father, and it was in the beginning, and the, and the beginning wasn't it. it that, all, that powerful king is in you. Is with you. Maybe you've never been to church before. Maybe this is your first time looking out. I don't know if that's necessarily the case to anybody, but uh, maybe you haven't. And you think, this sounds crazy. I want you to know something, and I want you to hear me on this. We know. We understand that it sounds crazy. We understand it from your perspective, that, this, that Jesus, who died and was resurrected and, that, and then flew... Um, and now he's on the throne. He's on the throne, but he also, his, he came back in spirit as a helper for us. We know it sounds crazy. And, and scientifically, we can't prove it. But I can point to people and say Jesus has changed them. And they're no scholar of the Bible. They're not ones that have got in and read, read the passages. They've just gave their life to Jesus and it changed them. I can show you people who have the presence of God in their lives. The presence of the Father, Jesus, in them, helping them along. promise Jesus made in John 14, I can show you people that that promise has changed them. I can sit down with you and tell you about my life. What I love about the Holy Spirit is sometimes the Holy Spirit works through people who don't even know <laughs> the Holy Spirit works through them. That we're helped because we are not alone. And I think that's true. And I think Jesus said it and meant it. So I understand it's crazy. I really do. I really, really do. But it's real. It's very real. And if you don't believe me, give your life up. And go from being alone being in the presence of God and see how it changes you and, the, and after, after a decade of living that way if you want your money back I'll give you your money back I don't know how to unbaptize someone but we can try but I, I think it changes and I think it's more than just a knowledge of scripture 
that doesn't. But I think we should glorify God for being present, being with us, and not leaving us as orphans, but coming to us, dwelling in us, and helping us. Do you need help? Your life is just a disaster when you're doing it on your own. I'm not saying, um, I, someone said, well, hey, I'm not, how did he know? If you're doing it on your own, it's going to be a disaster. It just is. But in the presence of God, I think, I think God changes. Because God is with us. And he always will be. If you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus, not just one that gets you a get into hell free ticket, not just one that lets you take communion or makes you feel like you can now take communion with the congregation, not just one where you're now accepted and your sins are forgiven, but one where Jesus is the promise of Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized every one of you and you will receive the forgiveness or remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I would argue that gift is something, the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus in our life is something that is real and serious and something we should not take lightly. If you want to enter into that relationship today, please come forward while we stand and while we sing.